Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Don't Call Us, We'll Call You. We're the podcast that takes you behind the doors of the audition process and tells you what happens when things absolutely 100% do not go to plan. My name is Christopher Bartlett-Walford, I'm your host, and each week, myself and a guest from the world of entertainment or theatre or ballet or comedy joins me to go through our listener-submitted audition confession pile. And this week, I am joined by one of the dames of the London theatre circuit, Mr Tim MacArthur. He's brilliant. If you don't know Tim, where have you been? Tim is a legend in the London theatre scene. Whether it's directing fringe musicals or starring in cabarets all over the globe or performing with his very good friend, Sister Mary MacArthur, he is fantastic. And he's a really good person to get on our show because not only does he have a wealth of performing experience and auditioning, but also he's hosted and cast so many projects and auditions and things like that all over the world so it's going to be a really interesting conversation with him i work with tim down at sing easy west end at piano works really miss our job down there so i can't wait to get back hosting sing-alongs for people in london with him it's a really fun rambly chat this week with lots of tales from on and off stage proving it can go wrong at any point of the process but we start our talks each week with the same question what do auditions mean to you enjoy Um, auditions, I think, are a fascinating um, process. Um, as a director, I think, you know, to even get in the room, I think, is a really positive thing because it's the first time that uh, sometimes that the director, you know, will meet the actor and the actor will meet the creative team for whatever show it is. But for me, it's like I think everybody who goes to the audition has the potential of being in that show. And at the end of the day, we all want, you know, we, as the as the audition panel, we want to be able to give people the work um, and the jobs, you know? So I think to even, there must be something that says to the creative team that that you're in the running for that, for that job, for that opportunity. Um, you know, and as a director, you wish that you could give everybody the job, but you can't because, you know, generally as a director, I would probably say that I know within the first couple of minutes whether they are going to be right for the project as an actor um personally for me i i i really hate auditions <laughs> but i think it's interesting now now i'm in my 40s and you know since i've been in the business for since the war dear <laughs> um i um it's really helped being on the other side of the fence because now as an actor when i go in i'm just really clear and I'm really precise. Well, I hope I am that I know what I'm doing. I don't faff around with a bag. I don't, do you know what I mean? I just mm. come in and be very nice and, and friendly and do what I'm asked to do because I think that's that gives it clarity and I don't, you know, wobble on if they say, how are you today? I don't give them a 10 minute monologue. You know, I'm just really, <laughs> really <laughs> that's clear. Always, that's always my problem. I like to talk to new people. <laughs> so I will give them oh, yeah. how's my how's your day been well I'll tell you how my month was <laughs> yeah do you know what I mean and the other thing I always say hello to the the musical director or the pianist whoever's playing the piano absolutely I always have my music ready whatever they want so it's really easy to read I always thank the the pianist um for playing you know I think it's little things like that because as a director I also look at that and how they communicate and I know people I know we all get nervous because as an audition panel you know as a director you are nervous as well for people because you want you want people to to be the best to mm. show that the 110% of of the quality of the talent if that makes sense you know no one wants you know I think it you must be a very nasty pasty person <laughs> Nasty pasty person. Nasty pasty. Uh, to to want people to fail in an audition. Nasty pasty. I don't know where that's come from. <laughs> I like Hashtag it. Hashtag nasty pasty. That's your new t shirt. <laughs> you know I mean? Because you you want people to to be the best that they can be. Yeah. So there's no point in you know, and in, in times as a director, obviously people do get nervous and and normally I can see it sometimes. So I'll try and be not even yeah, I'll try and try and make them feel even more comfortable and maybe say something funny so they relax a little bit because you want to see you know you want you want the audition process to bring out the best in them and also i think you know as a director if i'm going to be in that rehearsal room with that actor for four weeks i want them to feel really comfortable because i always think that the rehearsal room is like the womb mm. i know what you, you mean. mean and you've got to feel safe as an actor you have to feel safe 
to be able to explore whatever the story is, whether it's a musical or play or comedy, you've all got to be together as one. And the show is the ego. The only room in the ego is the show. So I want a nice, fun, relaxed, secure rehearsal process for everyone involved. You know, there's no point in being scared of, you know, I'm sure you agree as an actor with what mm. we directors who sometimes make us feel like absolute crap. And for me, I just think, what is the point in doing that when you're all working towards the same process? If you don't have your performers feeling comfortable and secure so they can be and explore, then that director shouldn't be in the room. When I, Whenever I was casting uh, shows, which a lot of them were comedy and, and children's and pantomime, so obviously a lot of big personalities, that's what exactly what we wanted. But it would It would always surprise me that people would come into the room and assume I wanted it one way where actually me and my team would be really relaxed and we would just want them to make us laugh because that's exactly what the audience from that kind of material needs so we'd always ask them to instead of preparing a script in advance we had some stuff to read you know like print stuff or comic lead stuff for for a pantomime specifically that they'd have 20 minutes before they came in to look through but that wasn't the audition the audition was telling us a joke really because we wanted to see how they tell a story yeah and if they pick a joke that's quite you know it's not just knock knock who's there if they did that but they were instantly more relaxed telling us a joke because they're really enjoying doing that we find that we, we found that we would get so much more out of people that were incredibly nervous telling us a joke and then their song would come naturally and it would be much more easy. Yeah. I just found that was such a nice little thing. So, yeah, like you said, making that, trying to make them laugh and trying to make anyone who's coming into an audition as a panel as relaxed as possible. It's so important. And, and it always, it like you said, it always struck me so... It was just so surprising when certain people weren't. But then that's their directing style. That's their casting style. That may be how they want to work for the show. That might be how they get the most out of themselves. So I respect it. But it's... It's 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 not how I would do it, and and I no, think it's I it's and I know you as well, so I know what your personality is like, and and having that in a room as an auditionee would just be fantastic. Yeah, well, maybe someone's listening who might disagree with that. I've said <laughs> I had a bad experience with MacArthur. Do email it. <laughs> yeah, do email it. Um, but I always say think. I also think as well that your audition starts the moment you enter the building. Of course it does. Because the person who greets you, because I will always ask them when they've done their when the actor have done their audition. I will always say to the person who's been checking people in, I'll go, what they're like. Mm, absolutely. Were they nice? Were they rude? Because that's so important. I know nerves, you know, can take over, but I just think there's always a courtesy of, of I always think of treating people how you would like to be treated yourself, if that makes sense. Well, that leads me oh, here we go. <laughs> very nicely into, into our first submission this week. So as you know, um, all of our listener stories were submitted by people working within the entertainment industry, whether it was TV, theatre, comedy, film, um, most of them are actors. But because obviously we know how much work you do as a director and a producer, we thought this week we'd uh, get a few from the other side of the table as well to remind everyone it doesn't always go to plan both ways. Um, but this one comes in uh, from a director. There was once a time when I was running for the auditions as well as sitting on the panel as the director of the show. So I was the person inviting the people into the room and checking them off on the register. The next person was due in. So I popped outside to see if she was there. Now she was a lady who had quite a lot of West End theatre experience and a really strong CV. So we were really looking forward to meeting her. When I spoke to her before her audition, she was so dismissive of me like I meant nothing to the process. She didn't engage in my conversation and questions, checking her details, and literally said, yeah, right, whatever. Now, maybe it was nerves, but it seemed like she just couldn't be bothered with someone she thought wasn't important to the show. When I brought her into the room, the sheer joy of introducing myself as the director of the show was brilliant. I watched her shrink with embarrassment when it clicked who I was. She performed the audition, and we all got what we needed from her nice and fairly. But when she said goodbye at the end, I said, yeah, right, whatever, with a smile. <laughs> so the motto of the story is don't treat your runner like crap because they could be the one making the choices one day or indeed that day. That is that is so <laughs> true. It's spot on. Do you know, and that actually many years ago, I used to do a lot of work at the German Street Theatre. Oh, lovely place. And um, we used to do late night cabaret. We used to do like cabarets Fridays and Saturdays. And we did it for like 
god five five six years or something and i programmed it i put the whole seasons together so i book all the acts to all the contracts and because i worked at the theater you know um i ran the bar now i don't know if any of you have been to the germ street theater it's a lovely intimate space but the bar is a cupboard within the auditorium <laughs> and is, so you know I'm, I'm serving you know i'm serving the drinks i'm asking you know the, we open the house the performers downstairs getting ready you know my co-producers doing the box office i'm in the bar and i'll, I'll always remember a very quite well-known west end performer you know i was like hello evening what can i get you to drink and just was so rude to me it was just unbelievable and at the end um he she he she said um oh um who who programs these late night things and i just went me and again the face was like changed completely and that's why i think you just have to be nice to everybody in life because you don't know who anybody is you know we're all equal at the end of the day but there is a thing of i think has been pleasant especially to a bar person you know who's in a cupboard who doesn't have coffee making facilities because there's no running water in there and it's not their problem that they can't give them a coffee if they could give them a coffee they would but when there's no running water into that facility and nowhere to eat <laughs> a coffee pot because <laughs> the, the bar is tiny you know anyway I, I digress but i but i always remember that and it was a really and it was a lesson for me as well on the other side of things to just make to make for me to realize you never know who anybody is and actually you know in this industry we all do loads of different things at different crazy times in our careers you know we should just be be grateful and nice to people and no, I, you know i just was very pleasant i was just like no i can't do that sorry after lockdown everyone's going to be so much nicer at auditions and theaters aren't they because they're going to be so grateful for it actually happening well in the room i mean it's really interesting i did a a casting workshop the other week last weekend and um and i've never done one before it was on zoom and i was really nervous because it was like you all did everything in front of each other and i was like i absolutely hated it and the casting directors were were brilliant actually and they they really said that they really hope that now people don't start doing castings over zoom because obviously it's going to be cheaper producers don't have to hire yeah. studios to do auditions because we've all got so used to do it over zoom but i really hope that we go back to that because i do think there is maybe for commercials maybe it's fine over zoom but i think for theater work there's nothing like getting that sensation about what that person is like in the room yeah because it's all about i think you know casting is such an interesting thing but it is about chemistry and it's about how the, the whole group of people are going to get on when you're doing the show and chemistry between the creatives as well within the mm -hmm. cast and how they're all going to work together. I mean, it's fine for, you know, the director because most directors will get the show open and then they'll sod off. But, you know, like your musical director will be still there and they have to get along with the cast, you know, as well. So that's really important. Sounded like Matt Hancock then saying that's really <laughs> important because that's what Matt Hancock says all the time. That's a really <laughs> important question. That's so important. So come on, Tim, hit me with a first story of when you were an actor and an audition didn't quite go to plan. Oh, God. <laughs> when I asked you if you had any, you said so many. And you sent me a lovely document with a list. And I'm like, we could we could literally do a whole series of Tim MacArthur. Well, I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's only sort of, I think there's two that really stand out for me as an actor badly auditioning. Okay. And one was auditioning for the Rocky Horror Show. Oh, okay. Is, at the start, I mean, this was, I mean, 90, this, I want to say it was 1998. It was the Ambassador's Theatre. And I have not been known in my career for doing rock pop and that sort of genre. It's just not my vocal style. I'd, actually, well, I've, I've just remembered another one, actually. Um, <laughs> See, this this is why we love the show. We hear one and then we go, uh-oh. <laughs> I know, I just literally remembered another one I was saying that I should have learned from this time. And it was for the Rocky Horror, it was at the Ambassador's Theatre. And I came on stage and I was singing Hound Dog. And I was feeling very confident, stood on the stage. I love Rocky Horror. I was like, I still want to be in this show. And it started off. And I was like, you ain't nothing but... And the, the music stopped. <laughs> and um, he went, I think you're in the wrong key. <laughs> and I went, okay, um, let's do that again then. Anyway, three times, didn't get it, just walked off. I said, I'm really sorry. So I just don't know what happened. So that was appalling. Oh, no. uh, the other one was um, Cats <laughs> at the New London Theatre. 
So many, many years ago, I'd near, I'd done, I went in for an open for Phantom and then they were like, oh, you're not right for Phantom, but we really want to see you for Mattinger. So oh, I did yes. Mattinger and did loads of recalls. Didn't get it. Then I went to the Miz, did, got through the workshops for the Miz. Didn't get that. And then they sent me to Cats. Obviously, my acting ability was obvious. <laughs> I'm not saying that you don't need to act in Cats <laughs> because you do. You have to be very good at acting in Cats. <laughs> And I think by this time, I was sort of a bit over it, really. So I went to the New London Theatre and um, they said, um, oh, Tim, yeah, could you crawl up onto the stage, please, like a cat? <laughs> and I went, I'll climb any, any way you want me to when you give me the job. <laughs> just was, I was just like, I can't do that. But the other one that I just did remember was many, many years ago. So, yeah, so my agent at the time got me an audition for We Were Rock You. And um, he said, Tim, I've got an audition for We Were Rock You. And I was like, I don't really think that's my genre. Um, it's not, do you know what I mean? It's not really, I don't think I can do that vocal thing with, I'm a much more classical theatre singer, really, than Rocky Poppy, like Queen do. I love the music, but it's just not my thing. Anyway, so I went to the Dominion Theatre. I, I learned the song Too Much Love Will Kill You. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I stood on the stage and I knew, like, I would say 75% of the panel including the MD. Anyway, I sang it and it was a little bit high for me, but I, at the end I finished and I went, thank you very much for seeing me. And I know I'm not right for the job. <laughs> they all replied, yes, you're not, but it's been great to see you too. <laughs> oh no. See, this is where our audition edition panic button could come in very well. <laughs> Alex said that he said a, a panic button was his addition to the audition process that if you both just know it's not going to go your way, just cut your losses and then they can just have a five minute break and have a coffee instead and you can have a chat. And yeah. if you knew the panel, that's where that would have been perfect. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I did. I just said, I just said, I'm not right. Am I? And they went, no. Hey, at least they were honest. They could have called you fourth, no, I, fifth round. That was the thing I said to my agent. I wasn't right. But, you know. Yeah, they were just thinking the money, obviously. <laughs> um, but but that's something that I I tend to do as a director now. I have to say is that if if I know someone is not right, then I will tell them. I think after the audition, because I know as an actor, you leave that uh, you leave the audition room and then you analyze everything, Absolutely. everything that's been said to you. You go, well, they said that. They said I like my shirt. Therefore, if I like my shirt, that means I'm going to get the job. You know, you, as an actor, you think all these little things and we get on well, we had a good conversation, I sang really well, I did the movement really well, but I think sometimes I know as an actor, I'd, I'd rather know there and then, but you yeah. never know. And then you just spend time waiting around the phone, you know, uh, and just eating too much curly whirlies. <laughs> um, so I was just literally like, so when I've done auditions now, if they're not right, I will say to someone, I'm really sorry, but you're not right for this. And what I have done in the past is when I've had, projects that i know of coming in and i've gone but you're actually right for something else that i will be directing later in the year and i will get in touch with your agent exactly and i do that I've, i keep all my cvs of actors who, who've auditioned for me and i every time i'm directing a project i go through them and i see if there's anybody that i think may be suitable for that so even though they've auditioned for me three years ago or something i will still if they're right get them back in the room or do an availability check with their agent um, because that you know it's all about meeting people and uh, meeting new people as well so that's something that I think I'm and, and generally I would say the people that I have said that to have thanked me for being honest with them at that point and saying it's not anything to do with you know you're not being talented but for this project you're not how you're not right for what I'm looking for. This next story comes in from a, a West End musical director um, who and it goes back to what we were saying earlier on about the fact that people in the theatre industry, we, we do lots of different jobs. Uh, we might work for a house. We might sing in bars. We might even do tech for shows while we're not on stage. And that's where this comes in. So, like I said, this is from a West End musical director. I asked him if he had any stories for me and he says, I think my favourite one was when one of the crew auditioned for the actual show he was crewing on as an actor. He was incredibly nervous. Now, covered in sweat from the dance call, he walked in and basically forgot how to even stand or speak. We did our very best to calm him down, told him to breathe, and reminded him that he was amongst friends. We all knew him and knew what he could do. Just as we had him settling down, he walked over to me, the pianist, to give me his music, 
and somehow he managed to kick my coffee halfway across the room. Properly went everywhere and over everything, including laptops. After five minutes of apologies and damp paper towels and more sweating, he finally gave us his song. Now, sadly, this time it was a no, mostly from my laptop fixing bill. (laughs) Oh, dear. But bless that person. If they if they were that nervous because maybe they knew the crew from working at the the theatre itself, it must be it, it, it must be hard to go into an audition room for a panel that you work with every day in a completely different context yeah i think that must be really i wouldn't i have to say i wouldn't like to do that actually i do know that musical director and he's an absolute dream so i'm sure he was all right with it and i'm sure they were lovely but even after that sweaty i get sweaty in dance calls just thinking about them let alone doing them and singing afterwards (laughs) do you know what i can't remember the last time i did a dance call i remember like years ago when i was up for all like you know, like grease is the word and going in and doing all that routine. And, you know, I I mean, I was, I was sort of always a, um, I could dance, you know, and I could move, but I wouldn't be able to like get my leg up to my left cheek, if that makes sense. And I remember some choreographers would hire me, not because I was um, necessarily technical, brilliant, but I could sell a number. I remember one, a, a brilliant choreographer called David Samuels one year, but we did a whirling dervish number in uh, Colchester Mercury Theatre. And um, because I can, he tried to, I tried to do this thing like run for eight counts, then turn right ways on your, lifting your left leg up in the air, and then run for the next eight counts and turn on your right leg with your left leg up in the air. And we kept doing this. And by the end, I didn't know where the hell I was. I think I thought I was <laughs> gone back to Chelmsford. <laughs> but um, so in the end, um, he just put me in the middle doing those, um, I don't know what they're called, Russian kick things where you go down oh, and then you like, jump up on your like heels. Like kind of squat that, and then you put your leg out straight. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. So I just did those for like 48 counts where everybody <laughs> ran around me because I just, I just, you know, my spotting just wasn't as, as perfect as, as everybody else's. I'm not, a, yeah. I'm not a dancer. I've said this on the show before. I'm not a dancer, but I could always move quite well. I trained at um, LSMT and there was always two groups of, of dance. There was a red group and a blue group. The red group was, you know, the more advanced of the dancers as naturally there are in musical theatre schools. The blue were the people who maybe needed a little bit more time to learn things. Well, I started in red and swiftly moved to blue. <laughs> swift- <laughs> I swiftly moved to blue and I'm absolutely fine with that. <laughs> I know my place and I'm cool. I, I, I dance calls we're always like I really like them and I've told a few stories on the show before and 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 that's you know <laughs> I dealt with them as is when I could I could always tap quite well but something I always struggled with and still do is partner work so I was in um a beautiful uh musical version of the remains of the day which was at the union in 2010 I think and I got called in quite late to the audition process I think it was maybe on the Friday and the the rehearsal started on the monday i think um i don't know why maybe someone dropped out and it was quite a specific part in the the thing as well it was the hugh grant part from the film and a wonderful wonderful choreography wonderful directing team it was really great really lovely and i'd not done a fringe musical like this before so i was really excited but uh, obviously there was it was a, a period piece um set kind of you know the backdrop of you know russian and german stuff has gone on if you know the the book and the film it's the same story but there was lots of ballroom dancing at the beginning, or certainly partner work, um, and I just I just kept panicking. The routines were very good, and a wonderful choreographer who everybody will know. Um, and I just I just always panicked, but I got it down, and I worked really really hard. I had a wonderful partner Hannah, um, and she was a dancer, so she really would help me, and she'd talk through it. And all of a sudden, like just before the the show started, it just kind of clicked, and I don't think I'd done a dance audition because of the time or something so I was always really really nervous that I was letting everyone down because I wasn't the dancer (laughs) but I got there I got through it anyway my agent came to see the show at the time uh, and she was quite a formidable woman lovely but you know would tell you if you were rubbish Yeah, yeah and the day she came I just stepped on so many toes and I panicked and I forgot steps and then lovely Hannah just kind of 
put her hand on my shoulder afterwards and went, it's all right, no one noticed. So she didn't say anything afterwards, but I just, it, it used to fill me, like, I used to feel my blood boiling with panic. Like whenever I used to have to dance like that, like proper dancing, um, you know, it could, it could do a fun pop pop routine in a panto or, you know, in, in musical tours that I was doing and it was, you know, stage choreography, absolutely fine. But when it came to like actual dancing that almost could be standardized like ballroom dancing the certain steps that we had to do oh, i crumbled tim i just crumbled i just used to crumble so I, but i kind of won it was it was funny because in or in dance auditions it was always that panic of well they can see how, that i'm not a dancer but then it's always useful to remember if you can if you say you're a really good dancer they expect it if you say you're a good mover and you go in and move well that's great if you dance yeah. really well, that's even better. But you kind of, I always feel it's good to remember as performers who don't dance, certainly don't dance as, as strongly as others. That is all right, because it means you're going to be more suitable for other roles in other areas as well. We always put too much pressure on ourselves going into auditions. And certainly when it comes to that kind of tangible, like judgeable skill like that. <laughs> who can do a triple pirouette? Not me. <laughs> Hello, it's Christopher here. Just a little reminder that if you have an audition or a casting story from either side of the table that you'd love to share with us, maybe it's one of those stories that you've never wanted to admit, we will share it with our listeners and our guest anonymously and tell it to our podcast audience to have a laugh all together, to remind them it is absolutely fine when things don't go to plan. Maybe you fell over and ended up in A&E in a dance call, or maybe you accidentally punched someone in the face in a dance it's always dance calls isn't it no not at all maybe you were at an audition for a comedy show and you did something that really crossed the line email it to us don't call us pod at gmail.com we have some incredible guests coming up in the next batch of recordings that we're going to start in a week or so's time so get your stories in now if you've got a friend who's got one get them to email us don't call us pod at gmail.com and we will share them to the world anonymously so you'll never have to admit it's you ha 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 anyway back to tim so um ben Newsom, i'm sure he won't mind me sharing this story hello ben but uh, hi ben um <laughs> but many years ago we used to do quite a lot of shows together he used to cast a lot of shows um, when i did shows for all-star productions the old rose and crown and um and i there was a, a a young guy that i had when i was teaching at carlisle university of cumbria in carlisle there was a guy that i'd seen in not the show I was directing, but another show at the university that I was on that I thought was suitable uh, for something we were doing. So I spoke, I emailed Ben Newsom and I said, can you get this, this is the name, uh, please get this person in for an audition. Cut to two weeks later in the audition panel and I looked down and I see the guy's name on the list and I went, oh good, you got, you got Blab coming in. And he went, oh yes, yeah, it, it took a while to find, to find, um, to, to find her. And I went, her, it's a him. And he went, oh, well, I've got this girl coming in with the same name as him. Anyway, so this girl came in who I had never seen before in my life to audition, um, who had the same name, but was a girl and not a boy, and came in and said hello. And we went, hello, thank you for coming in. And obviously, we we are, as a panel now, we all knew the situation. And... Um, and, you know, she sang a lovely Irish song. She said that she didn't get normally seen for musicals. So that was, you know, that was, I, f I found that. How did, <laughs> was there a part for her in the show or was it? No. Was it an all-male production? <laughs> no, but it was like a really, I mean, you shouldn't laugh, but it was quite, I mean, it, we did we did laugh about it. Admin because... errors happen the other side of the table sometimes as well. <laughs> I know, but the, I think one of the most hilarious things was she actually played a tin whistle as well oh. in the audition. Which was fascinating. She was brilliant, but um, it was just the thing of going really, really sorry. So if you're the, the lady listening to this, then I apologise. Um, but yeah, but that was just a, you know, we had a girl came in once who said she was going to sing "I Got Rhythm," you know, the Gershwin song, yeah. um, which is a classic standard, and then started singing it and clearly didn't have any rhythm whatsoever. Oh, <laughs> oh no! Oh, it's unfortunate. Oh, the irony of the lyrics matching to the the sometimes. Oh. Oh dear. And then we, we all try to do it afterwards and you can't 
sing I Got Rhythm pretending that you don't have not have any rhythm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was really, really funny. <laughs> and then there was one horrific experience, which I was directing Casanova. We were doing a revival of Casanova, which was going to the King's Head for eight weeks. And this guy came in and we'd asked for... Because he all had to play within Casanova, all the characters within it, they all played about three or four different people because it was Casanova's journey. So obviously he had a quite a complex journey. Yeah. And, you know, lots of women he made love to and lots of love interest and lots of, you know, villains and fighting him. So all the all the cast had to be quite versatile in, in characterization and and anyway, this 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 guy came in and and he said, Yes, I've 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 written something that I like to perform. And I was like, fine, you know, I'm up for hearing new work. And basically started at the back of the rehearsal room, the audition room, and worked his way to right to the front of our table. But basically, in his walk, he transitioned from a person into a goblin. Oh. And, um, yeah, that was... Bold. That was quite an experience. (laughs) I, I I really wish I'd been there for that. I, I would have been all in for Goblin Casanova. It was just the most bizarre thing. And the the four of us on the panel, you could just sense that none of us knew what the hell was going on. We didn't know what he was, what the speech was, but we just had this sense of none of us could look at each other. Oh, no. <laughs> because we'd go. And that's the, that's the other thing, you know, when that's, things like that happen, you can't laugh at someone. You know, you've got to keep it really together and really professional. And um, we normally would, you know, take it in turns to do like, you've got the dates, um, we'll let you know as soon as we can, you know, the nice little talk at the end that we give to everybody to make sure that everyone feels like they've they've had their moment of chatting to us. And it was just none of us could look at each other. But that's the thing. It's it's nothing personal if the panel get a giggle out of something if they that they weren't expecting. But I think it's it's important to remember when you go into an audition as well, the panel might have been there for eight hours it's hot, it's sweaty, you know, if you're in the CAA, there's a little air that comes through that room as well. So, you know, you you, you just might get delirious by five o'clock in the evening. It doesn't mean that it's, it's anything personal. And then if somebody comes in and, and does a, a new speech that you have to really listen to and then turns into a goblin halfway through, it's going to tickle you. It tickled more than us. <laughs> I tell you, for the, the next the next two hours, it was like it was like flashbacks. We each had flashbacks of what had just happened two hours beforehand. And it just <laughs> we it was just it was just the most surreal experience I think I've I've ever seen in my life someone auditioning that you just uh, even to this day, when I think I can still see this guy's face in my head, I mean, how to be remembered, which is good. I think that's important when you audition, but be remembered for the right, the right way. I just, I've just remembered something really hilarious as well about my uh, Billy Elliot auditions because oh, many years yes. ago I nearly got Billy Elliot, and um, we used to go. They used to call it. I mean, it's really bad, but they used to call it Fat Tap. <laughs> um, and we used to go to this place on a Saturday morning in Brixton and they teach us like, I think we did it for about, I want to say like seven weeks on a Saturday. And we taught, and they taught us like three routines from the show. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, it was, it was brilliant. And actually the boys, we all became quite a close group actually. And it was really lovely and we're all very supportive of each other. And um, there was one, there was one particular step that I used to call show pony. Um, <laughs> that was like, you drag your right foot along the floor and I just, when we were doing the routine, I used to always just shout and show pony. And it just became a thing that we all used to shout at that particular <laughs> point during the routine. Anyway, seven weeks afterwards, we we're in the finals in the room with all the creative people. And um, they said, okay, boys, we're going to do this routine. I can't remember what it was, but we all started the routine. And anyway, when it got to the show pony step, we all shouted, shout. <laughs> <laughs> Even though, and you see all the creators, and afterwards they were like, "We're like, why did you shout show pony?" And they went, "Oh, it's what we Tim used to shout in the routine." <laughs> but then they stood us all in a line and and went down. I know they went down. They did the usual question of it, and it was like, "Okay, can you do a cartwheel?" And the, <laughs> Billy would do a cartwheel. Uh, Stephen, can you do a cartwheel? Stephen would do a cartwheel. Uh, John, can you do a cartwheel? John would do the cartwheel. Tim, can you do a cartwheel? And I went, "No." but I can make a lovely quiche. (laughs) (laughs) 
See, this this is this is where that good sense of humor comes in. You can't switch it off, Tim. <laughs> no, but you know, I was like, I just I can't. And I thought there's no point in me even trying because it would be like a little sort of you know, like hardly getting my legs off the air. It would just be like, a, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. It wouldn't be a cartwheel at all. It'd be just like a little frog jump because um, I've never <laughs> been a, a, a gymnastic. And um, the worst, the, speaking of partner work, the worst thing that ever happened to me doing partner work was um, in South Pacific. And um, I don't know if you've, you've done South Pacific. I but have, the, yeah. the sailors, they're on for quite a bit in Act 1. They do Bloody Mary, Nothing Like a Dame, they sit looking romantic during Bally High. They're on for quite a long time. They kind of come on a bit drunk. They come on like happy and yeah. And Bloody Mary is the first sequence, I think, of that whole thing when the sailors come on with Bloody Mary. And um, and we, we did Bloody Mary is the girl. Blah, 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 blah. And then there was a little bit of a dance break. And in the dance break, I was sort of picked up from my waist and spun round by this rather handsome, burly chap called um, Richard. And and what was supposed to happen was, as I sort of went, I would say, 180 degrees, my legs had to wrap themselves around his neck and shoulders. <laughs> and then he would re- release me down, and I'd sort of do some fall of my hands out of his grasp. And it had gone very well, um, apart from one night we are doing a show, and for some reason he lost grip of me as I was coming down. And the only... <laughs> The only place he thought of Uh-oh. to sort of help me Uh-oh. from not falling completely, <laughs> the only place where he thought to grab me was my bollocks. Hey! The- <laughs> so I am falling down, and as I'm falling, he is squeezing them <laughs> tighter and tighter, thinking that that's going <laughs> to um, stop me from falling as fast. In your South Pacific. in south pacific in my little sailor shorts as well so anyway so i eventually i'm on the floor he's let go of of my bollocks and we then do the rest of the scene now throughout the rest of the scene obviously because he's had quite a tight grip (laughs) on my bollocks and um so of course this the sensation of this and this feeling I don't know, Chris, if you've ever been <laughs> held onto your bollocks for a long period of time and they've been squeezed. But, uh, uh, you know, it has a delayed reaction, which basically makes you feel very nauseous and faint. Oh, no, you didn't faint. So throughout the rest of the scene, throughout the rest of the scene, I feel more and more ill. So I get belly high. I'm like leaned against this bin and I'm like, oh, my God, I feel absolutely dreadful. So I come off stage and I, I sort of tell the company manager and I go, look, this happened. I don't feel very well and and I'm really hurting downstairs. <laughs> it's a very not a nice feeling. And she was like, that's really serious. I think we need to check you out. So um, I managed to get through the end of the show and they get the doctor to come and, <laughs> to come and check me out. So I go into the little uh, this little room <laughs> at the end of the show near the side of the stage. Doctor's <laughs> waiting. And um, he asked me what happened. So I told him, I explained that my bollocks felt really sore. And basically, um, he then sort of had had a check of me and asked me um, while he was holding um, my uh, my equipment downstairs. And he said to me, how's the show going? And I couldn't resist. And I just went bollocks. It's a tight act too. <laughs> I do, I do really. It was, yeah. I mean, it was quite, it was quite horrific. Oh, I do remember dear. That, that's something. I, I know. To answer your question, I, I don't think I've ever been squeezed that tightly. But my one-year-old son does, <laughs> does get quite excited when certain TV programs come on and he's sitting on my lap. So I, I, I do slip into the soprano range when his heel makes contact every now and again. I was doing Forever Plaid, which is a beautiful oh, show, which Forever is about um, four guys in a close part harmony group who are basically uh, killed tragically on the way to do their first gig. They go up to heaven and then God says to them, you can go back down to earth and do the gig you never got to do. So this was a 12-week tour with uh, for Katie and John Plews for Ovation Productions. And we travelled around the country visiting loads of like really big theatres, but then also lovely small intimate community uh, theatres as well. And, you know, art centres and 
sometimes played to a barn of you know like 2000 people and then to like 20 people in a 1000 seater it was it was a really great fun tour and at the end of the show there's a speech that um the character one of the characters says that he doesn't want to go back to heaven he likes it here can we stay and john who's the director had said you know when you're touring he said it'd be really nice if you do a local reference and you say i like it here in bristol I like it here in Bath. I like it here in Scarborough. And then, and then we would do the, you know, the end of the show, and we'd all do Love is a Many Splendid Thing, which is a beautiful song, close part harmony, four parts. So three weeks we've been on tour. He'd not decide to, he hadn't mentioned the town in the end and, and all the time it was like, please mention the town. So he decided that he would mention the town when we were in Cockermouth. <laughs> <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course, and going into so, love is a many splendid thing after that as well. So he went, I like it here in Cockermouth. At which point, <laughs> a we were surprised he actually said it. B we were in Cockermouth. Now we were juvenile, thinking about it, but it was Cockermouth. It's one of the one of the brilliant names of of the UK, <laughs> and that just sent us all off and. And basically, the Love is a Many Splendid Thing became a solo with various <laughs> harmony lines singing it. The song, you could hear all the lyrics, but there was just not four people singing it at the same time. We each basically did a line each of our harmony. <laughs> one one line of the whole thing. <laughs> one line of the whole thing. <laughs> a solo version of Love is a Many Splendid Thing sung by four people. That I think that was one of the the, the most hilarious moments i think ever we've experienced that's one of the things you just won't forget and it'll be one of those lovely little moments of the tour and also if an audience clocked it as well they'll know what happened and they'll feel you know they'll be like yeah we were there for that show <laughs> so if you... i had my family in because oh, i'm no. from that way on the a66 <laughs> i tell you it was absolutely hilarious it was the first time they were seeing forever blood and and i was just like i mean we did he never mentioned the town again after that point <laughs> We didn't, every place he was like, I like it in Cockermouth. <laughs> it didn't matter where you were, <laughs> Scarborough, Northampton, yeah. it was always Cockermouth. <laughs> it was always, we'd always hear Cockermouth. I think but that's the thing, isn't it? When something like that happens in the, in the show, I mean, you know, I wish I could say that I've, I've been professional in my career and I think, <laughs> think I think I have. Um, I mean, there was, yeah, there's there's been some, the, the the most recent one, which I'll, I'll just quickly share, if that's all right. Yeah, but absolutely. Ago, we did we did a lovely production of Into the Woods. Oh yes. And and I played the baker, and we did it in the round of the Cockpit Theatre, and it was just a it was just a glorious time and a beautiful show. And you know, I'm a big fan of Stephen Sondheim, and and I've been so lucky to do quite a lot of his musicals over the years, both as an actor and a director. And um, anyway, we're doing Act One of Into the Woods, and and I, I came off stage between, you know, the baker, it's very, everyone's on and off and the scenes are quite short. Um, and I kept looking at my face and I was going, oh, I'm getting redder. What's going on? Oh, Why no. am I so red? And I kept saying to my, my Joe Wickham, who played the baker's wife, I was like, is my face red? And she was like, yeah. And, and like various other people in cast going, Tim, you're right, your face is really red. Then I was getting anxious because, oh my God, am I having a heart attack? Why am I so red? Oh, goodness me. And then um, Abigail Carter Simpson was in Act Two. We were in the um, in the dressing room because all the other characters are dead, and there was only <laughs> those sort of few of us left. And um, she said to me, "God, your face is still red." I went, "I know." And then, as I said, "I know," I picked up my blusher brush and realised that there'd been red makeup on my blusher. Oh brush. God! <laughs> so I was using it to sort of blend the light bit of makeup but not realizing it being covered in red i mean we all just that was just embarrassing so before we go we ask all of our guests what their one audition addition would be it could be funny it could be silly it could be serious what one thing would you add to the audition process to change it for the better I I go back and I, w I would say honesty, I think, is to know when you leave the room, whether 
you're in with a chance because I think it it's good for mental health mm-hmm. because I think you all everyone comes away from an uh, an audition with feeling you know that they're going to get the job but I think if 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 the panel know and they are all 110% sure that you're not right for the job I think you should be told there and then I mean, I know there has been in recent times a, a, a much more of a drive and a, a movement towards giving actors feedback for their auditions, which which I do. I mean, I email people as well at the end and tell them if they're not right or, you know, a little, you know, a little bit of feedback. I really do that because I really believe that's an important thing to do now because that's also improves you as a, an artist. Yeah. But I think if, if you if they know really that you're not right, then I think maybe to be told... You know, because we have heard that's enough. That's all we need to see for today. Yeah. And they always put today on the end where I think that's all we need to see. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> you do you know t- what I mean? I mean, maybe that's too harsh of me, but I think that would be a... Because then you just... I know that, you know, when I used to audition a lot, I always used to, like, wind myself up. And yeah. then you spend, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, uh, two days... And then you think, oh, I know the recalls and on next Monday and I, that's you know, it. And I haven't heard as yet. And, oh, are they going to, you know... And you know your um, friends might be going in for a dance call. Or you know your friends might have been yeah, sent material. You know it's a cl- it's a yeah. close industry. Everybody knows what everyone else is auditioning for, and so that's a re- that's a really useful addition and one that hopefully the industry moves towards. Like you said, some uh, quite a lot of people have, but in, as as standard now, and and even if it's just actually you are still in for the mix. For instance, I there was a time that I went in for a longest running show in the West End. First round audition, sing, meet, say hello, lovely, done, brilliant. Three months went by and I just assumed I hadn't got anything, which is fine because that's how my mind was. But then I got called into the final workshop round and I was out of nowhere and I just wasn't expecting it. So maybe I I would have at least prepared a little bit more (laughs) if I'd have known that I was still in the running and gone, you know, I could have gone to see the show back then. So I knew what the cast that I was looking to replace, you know, was like. But yeah, honesty and and a clear indication of if you are in the running or if you're not in the running is a really, it's a naturally useful thing on the audition day. Yeah, me. I think so. And even you know, and if the you know, and now you know the the big shows they audition for like weeks on end, don't they? Absolutely. And see so many people, and you must know. I mean, I know there is a sense of, oh, you know that person, but sometimes you know if if someone is a a yes a recall or. You know they are in the mix and then someone else might come in later that day that actually you know is, is more suitable for the role and then that person sort of is, is put in the no pile but mm. i think by the end of the day there should be like a, a definite they're not in the mix for this as you said you know we are it's a small business and you know that friends get recalled and are sent material or being asked to dance and you know so i think i think that would be a that would be a good thing and also i think sometimes sometimes audition panels you know are not very friendly sometimes a smile goes a long way a, cer- a smile just go a long way certainly when everyone is as nervous as each other as well absolutely i know and also casting directors sometimes are always on the computers when people are auditioning i understand all that and i know some actors get really sensitive because they they don't think they're being watched um but then sometimes the casting director doesn't have the um you know the 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 decisions as well so yeah, I, I think just a yeah, just a just a nice. Uh, maybe everyone should dress as clowns. No, because I'm scared of clowns. That would be. <laughs> oh no, not clowns. Oh god, no. All, all in those tight sailor shorts, just in case. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> uh, my granny always used to say to me before an audition. She always used to say, "Imagine they're naked." <laughs> well, depends who's on the panel, Tim. <laughs> I know. Do you know what I mean? That's what I said to her. Actually, <laughs> that might be a bit of a distraction. <laughs> might make you want the job more. Who knows? <laughs> Or maybe less. (laughs) Tim, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope everyone stays safe and and toy toy for everybody's future auditions. And that was this week's episode of Don't Call Us, We'll Call You with the brilliant Tim MacArthur. Tim and I uh, have known each other for a very long time and I was so pleased that he wanted to come and have a chat throughout (laughs) lockdown about theatre and producing and casting and everything as a performer when it doesn't go right and reminding you and hopefully this has reminded you this episode that even if you're on the casting side the directing side or the performing side if it doesn't go right in auditions don't worry 
it's absolutely fine and you are not alone and like we said that's what we wanted to show you with this episode a few more on stage stories than we normally do but i've absolutely loved it and i hope it's made you laugh throughout this hour or so talking to lovely tim we work together down at Sing Easy West End in our incredible sing-along bar based in Piano Works in Leicester Square, entertaining thousands of people. And we haven't been able to do that for a very long time. So it was such a joy to be able to have a chat with him uh, in lockdown. We recorded this quite a while ago, actually, but I've been saving it up because I knew it would be such a good one at a time that we really, really need it. And theatre is coming back. It is on its way back slowly. So if, like us, you're really, really missing it, then hopefully this has filled that gap just just a little bit. If you've enjoyed yourself listening to this week's show, there weren't that many disasters and it was quite tame. So make sure you head back and listen to 13 episodes that we've got out already from West End stars like Katie McKnight and Heber El Sheik uh, to the lovely Christina Bianco. We've got Will Henry and Alex Capon. We've got loads of people on the show all sharing their own audition stories and loads and loads of listener audition disasters that have been anonymously submitted so make sure you subscribe tell your friends we're at don't call us pod on social media tag us and let us know what your favorite story was from this week on twitter we love to share it and hear what you think and if you're so inclined pop to the apple podcast store and rate us five stars which genuinely helps us get seen by new people but for myself lovely tim MacArthur. And our co-producer, John Webb Carter, thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Make sure you listen to the rest of the series and we will see you again next Friday for a brand new episode of the show with the lovely Courtney Ward. She's fantastic. And some of the stories in that episode are awesome. So I can't wait for you to hear them. We will see you next Friday. Have a lovely week. Make sure you wash your hands, you wear your mask over your nose and mouth. Stay safe. And remember, don't call us. We'll call you. Good night, everybody. Thank you.